There are two scripture readings today. The first is from Isaiah 49, 1 to 6, and the second from Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I have said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And now from Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. I'd like to talk to you today about our future as a church. I'm very excited to talk to you about that. For those of you who are new to Grace, um, this this group of people, this church, and I'm talking about people, not a building, has been part of Long Beach since 1913. So you can do the math. We're in our 102nd year. And I've had uh, the opportunity to be part of this community for almost a quarter of that time. It's hard to believe uh, that if you stay in a place that all of a sudden you become part of its history uh, for good or for ill, uh, hopefully that's for good. Um, and and it, what's interesting about those 25 years is uh, I've had the ability to then look back and hopefully that, that ability to look back, as they say, is 2020. Hindsight is often 2020. And I hope that to, to some degree that is the case as I look at, um, as I look at our, our past as a church. And as I look back, I've seen ways that God has been both present and active to position us for the future that he has in store for us. And you might be thinking to yourself, uh, well, how can you make any claims about the future, right? How can you make any claims about the future, and especially a future that involves God? I mean, how can you be so audacious as to say anything related to that? Well, here's what I'm relying on. I'm relying on the character of God. Okay, The character of God as revealed in the actions of God in history. I mean, isn't it true that you can tell something about a person's character 
by watching the way that they live their lives. And you watch someone over time and you can make, you can draw conclusions about the type of person that they are, what their character is like. Well, the same thing is true about God. You look at his actions in human history and you can draw conclusions about, about God. And when I speak about God, I'm also, I'm speaking of the God whose particular storyline is revealed in the Bible. And that storyline has a beginning and it continues to today. And we are part of it, even if we choose to ignore it, because this storyline is about God and his plan for the whole world. So whether or not you consider yourselves part of it or whether or not you think it's just it's meaningless, it's still revealed in the pages of God's word as God. It's about God and his universal plan for the world. So I'd like to talk about our next chapter as it's connected to God and his unfolding storyline that he reveals to us in the Bible. And I want to ground my observations in the text read to us today, a text about God's universal plan for the world. You heard Mark just read Isaiah 49, 1-6. to And what's interesting, if you're listening to that, it's about God's faithfulness. It's about God's faithfulness, and it causes him to remain faithful to unfaithful Israel. And why does he do that? Well, because God has... God made a promise to Abraham back in Exodus chapter 12. If you're familiar with the, if you've read the Bible and you're familiar with the Old Testament, in Exodus 12, God makes a promise to Abraham. And he says to Abraham that he, through him, he's going to give him a multitude of descendants, and it's through those descendants that he's going to bless the world. Chris Wright says it this way, <clears throat> The mission of God is to bless all nations on earth. Israel in the Old Testament was not chosen over against the rest of the nations, but for the sake of the rest of the nations. And that's why we see when when God delivers Israel out of Egypt, that as he then sets them up for what he has for them in the future, he reminds them of his plan for them. Turn to Exodus 19, if you would, please. If you have a Bible, turn there to Exodus 19. Uh, My guess is a lot of people haven't visited this text in a while. It's kind of buried back there. Exodus 19, page 60 in the blue Bible is underneath your seat, or pull up an app and and follow along. Exodus 19, verse 1, on the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they camped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So he he names Israel as a kingdom of priests. Now, why is that significant? Because he has established them as as being something different from all the rest of the surrounding nations. They are to be a servant nation, not a ruling nation. That stands out. And as a kingdom of priests, they are to have a mediatorial function. That's what a priest did. They stood between the people and God, and they mediated between those two. So now Israel is being called to mediate between God and all the nations of the world as a kingdom of priests. Significant words. But even when they turn their backs on God, and you see this throughout the Old Testament, 
and they end up in ca- captivity, God remains faithful to them. He remains faithful to them, and he promises that they will be a light to the world. And that was the text that we heard read to us in Isaiah 49. If you want to turn over to there, Isaiah 49. Just to look at that last verse, verse 6 again, page 608. Excuse me, 609. He says, it is too light a thing, verse verse 6, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So even though Israel is unfaithful toward God again and again, God still remains faithful. And here in captivity, he says, your future involves me bringing you out and bringing you as a light to the nations, making you a light to the nations. Now that's the background for hearing Jesus' words in Matthew 5. So if you want to turn to Matthew 5, that's the last place I'll have you turn today. All right? Matthew 5, page 810. So when when we come to Jesus' words in the New Testament, we need to be listening for echoes of what comes out of the Old Testament. That's the best way to understand Jesus, and it's the best way to understand the words that Jesus gives. He is continuing the storyline that God started way back with Abraham. The promises that God made to Abraham, Jesus is fully aware of them, and he steps into that storyline, and he embraces that unfolding storyline. So when we pick up in Matthew 5, verses 13 and 14, Jesus is picking up God's storyline to bless the world through a people called to himself. But this time, God has come in person, in the person of Jesus. And these people that God has called to himself are now going to be called to Jesus. They're centered around Jesus. Jesus is now calling a people to himself. And it's through these people, this time it's Jew and Gentile, not just Jew, that God will bless the world as they encounter the life of Jesus and as they're restored to right relationship to God. So against that background, when we we see these words in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, he is naming those people he's calling to himself. He's naming those people he's calling into this ongoing plan of God to bless the world. And he's saying, you are the salt. You are the light. In other words, he's saying, you are the people through whom I'm going to bless the world. Now, if you just miss that last sentence, every time I think about it, it it makes me smile. It makes me smile. Because I can't, I can't wrap my head around the fact that as I am living and breathing, those words are directed at me, those words are directed at us. Anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus, those words are directed toward us. He's saying, I've called you to myself so I can bless the whole world through you. Is that mind-blowing? Is that, I mean, is that a little bit unusual? Does that kind of raise your vision of, I mean, when you come and you're part of this, it's not just sitting in a seat and being passive and being bored and saying, you haven't entertained me today. I'm telling you something that is absolutely life-changing. That you and I are part of the fulfillment of a storyline that started with Abraham. He's saying, you are salt 
of the earth. You are the light of the world. That is how I'm naming you. Now, these two word pictures are helpful to visualize who we are and what we've been called to and, and what our future involves. And I want to explain it maybe a little bit more helpfully with this image. A little XY axis, a little kind of looks like a little math thing there, but I want to put salt and light on there and kind of map it for you visually today, maybe draw you into this a little bit more. Now think about the issue of the light, first of all. The light is there on the, on the Y axis. Like Israel before us, as people of God reconstituted now around Jesus, we are called to be the light to the world. In other words, our lives are to be lived in relationship to people so they can see Jesus in us. That's light. Seeing. But now, with regard to the salt, at the same time, our lives are to be distinctive so that we look like Jesus. So it's Salt and light, another way to look at this is that our lives are to be marked, Jesus is saying that our lives are to be marked by high connection and high distinction. I'm indebted to Ben Sternke for this diagram. If you think about Jesus, he was a perfect embodiment of this. He was connected to people through loving them. People were drawn to Jesus, right? It's interesting, if you read the Gospels, people knew where Jesus was. Why? Because They were so drawn to him. So he was a person who had high connection with people, but at the same time, he was distinctive. There was something distinct about him. He was inviting them into a new reality, and that was life in the kingdom of God. So there's a distinction part to Jesus' life as well, and it's that life in the kingdom of God. And he modeled what this life looked like. As he lived his life, as he did what he did, He was modeling for them, this is what it looks like to live within the kingdom of God. Relationships are healed, bodies are healed, things are restored, what's broken is made straight, what's crooked is made straight, what's broken is is put to right. That's life in the kingdom. And that's what Jesus came and modeled for us. So what are the alternatives to this? I want to go clockwise. I want to start right down in this Segment right down here. High distinction, low connection. Down in there in that quadrant, that lower right quadrant, it's obviously, if you think about it, it's a a lifestyle that is marked by being separated from people. Especially if you're thinking as a Christian, oftentimes it works itself out as being separated from non-Christians. Oftentimes it works out, at least from my background in the church, as kind of a hit-and-run evangelism, uh, where you just drop in on people, you bomb them, and then you leave. You, you tell them about hell. You try to get them to pray the prayer, and if they don't, then, you know, your, your job is done. And I think that's what a lot of people like me who've been in the church for some time react to, is that, that quadrant where there's, where there's this attempt to be highly distinctive, but there's very little, or there's at least low connection to people. There's not that relationship issue there. In other words, there's possibly salt, but not really a whole lot of light because there's not a connection to people so that they can see the life of Jesus. Well, the next option is right over here in this quadrant, and that's low distinction, low connection. And what's in there? Nothing. Death. Um, Nothing's really going on. Maybe if, if you're someone who says, well, 
I'm a Christian and I, I'm not sure what quadrant I'm in. Maybe if you're just numb or maybe you're apathetic, maybe you're in that quadrant. I can't say that for you, but it's a possibility. Uh, because you're not necessarily distinct, nor are you connected to people in order for them to see the life of Jesus in you. So let's move up to this quadrant right up here, the high connection, low distinction quadrant. And this is where we're simply friends with people. We're not afraid of mixing with people who aren't followers of Jesus. At least if we do that, they'll know that Christians aren't weird. They'll know that we like a good party and that we enjoy good food and drink just like they do. Someone has coined this, the, the beer and brownie quadrant. Uh, someone else told me this week on staff that he coined it as the uh, coffee and vape quadrant. So in that quadrant, we enjoy eating and drinking with our non-Christian friends just like Jesus did. And we go like, well, you know, we're being like Jesus. But here's the problem with this, all right? If I'm no different from my non-Christian friends, then there's nothing compelling for them to see. If my message is, see, we Christians are just like you, don't you want to be like us? Like, what? I already am. You're like me, and you're asking me to be like you, but you're already like me. I'm already there. What are you inviting me to? I've already gotten there. There's no reason to change anything. So at the end of the day, here's, here's the point. At the end of the day, you can't invite anyone to a new way of life if there's really nothing distinct about you for them to see. And that's been the challenge for me that has just kind of awakened me. You see, without distinction, there's nothing to invite people to. But without connection, there's no one to invite and without connection, no one will listen to us, but without distinction, there's no message. And that's why Jesus names his followers as both salt and light. Genius on the part of Jesus. Well, another observation, it's easy to move from this lower quadrant because we're afraid of being religious weird, Okay. And if you, you know, many of us perhaps have an idea of what that's about, and so we're attempting to avoid that. But then to move in this upper right quadrant is to become Jesus weird. It's to become Jesus weird. And that was, that distinction was offered to me recently by a friend. And he explained it this way. He said that your friends have all kinds of people they can eat and drink with. But the probability is that your friends probably have very few people who can show them what Jesus is like. So the question is, are you going to be that person for them? That person who's going to show them what, what Jesus is like? And that's what can make you and me distinct. So to be Jesus weird is to simply allow the life of Jesus to flow out of me so that people might encounter Jesus and they might be compelled to follow him. See, it's about putting Jesus out there. And that's very different. This was what the coin that dropped for me. That's very different from being Christian nice or Christian cool. See, for a lot of, of, of my experience within Christianity, we're concerned about what people think about us. But this is about what do people think about Jesus, you see? 
So it's not about me worrying about whether someone thinks I'm cool or whether someone thinks I'm nice, but rather, can someone see Jesus? And is someone attracted to Jesus, the Jesus in me? And so it it means being more intentional and more attentive to where I am and who I'm with. And hopefully I'll talk to you some more about that in the future. That just struck me recently was just this whole issue of am I being attentive uh, reading some stuff on that as well, and just a quick story, I, I decided I'm, when I walk at night, because I typically walk at night to have presence in the neighborhood, people say they know me, but I know they don't know me, but they know me as the one who walks. He who walks, you know, because <laughs> it's better than crawling. But um, So I decided, you know, after p- paying attention to this attentiveness, I'm going, wait a minute, if I've got my iPod on, and they see the, my earbuds in, and they think, I'm not going to disturb that dude that walks. And I said, I'm going to shove that thing into my pocket and be attentive to God while I walk and see what happens. And so I started walking, and boom, someone stops me, engages me in conversation, wearing a Ohio State shirt. Hey, you a Ohio State fan? Uh, yeah, I am. You know? And so we engaged in a conversation. She was from Ohio. All of her relatives were from Ohio. I'd been living there for 20-something years and never met this lady. We engaged in a conversation. It was a, that whole beginning part of saying, can I be attentive? Because then... God may have people for me to meet, and that might be the beginning stage of bringing the life of Jesus to someone. It all begins with, hello, how you doing, how's your day? It's very exciting to see that that's really, it's not about having all your theological uh, ducks in a row, it's about just being present and being attentive for people, being intentional. And it means also asking, what might Jesus want to do in this person's life, and and what might be my role? You see, and that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. What's a disciple? We've been using this definition. A disciple of Jesus is a person who listens and responds to Jesus to become like Jesus and partner with Jesus in the world. It's very easy. It's a, we listen and we respond. We're attentive to Jesus because we want to become like Jesus to partner with Jesus in the world. We want to look like Jesus because people need to see the life of Jesus. And so it involves living into the way that Jesus names us, which is salt and light. Okay, so next, the next three to four minutes, what does this have to do with our future? I started this by telling you that I wanted to talk to you about our future as a church. And I want to talk to you about our next chapter as a church. Because I think that this chart, if we can go back to this uh, chart, thank you, um, it helps to locate us, at least it has helped me locate myself historically in the life of this church and in the unfolding storyline of, of this church. My first chapter, um, I'd like to suggest, was started down in that lower right quadrant with high distinction and low connection. And um, I came here in 1990, and it, the, the, the major question that was asked of me was whether I was going to have an altar call. And I didn't understand exactly why that was asked repeatedly, but I came to understand that what was being asked was whether or not I was going to preach in such a way that people would come in from all over the place and come in, and then I would lead them to Jesus through my sermons. And the altar call is you bring people down here and and they make a profession of faith. So it was very much about bringing people in, not going out and having connection necessarily with people, but being highly distinct, but the connection piece was, was lacking. I'm not saying it was non-existent, but it was, it was certainly lacking. Chapter 2, then, I would suggest has been trying to move us from there up to there 
with more of a high connection. And I celebrate the way that we as a church have moved into connecting with people. Uh, Hope for Long Beach, we've, be, we've, we've engaged in nonprofits throughout this city. We've given ourselves to the, the orphan and adopt movement. I mean, there's been a lot of people in, being involved in the whole issue of vocation. So this has become a church that is very much about being connected with our city and with people for the sake of being present to people. And that has been a wonderful shift that I've seen over the last 20 plus years. We've had international effort in things that we've done too. We've had a posture of welcoming people who are not necessarily like us. Uh, It's been evident in the way that we show love to people, how we've given ourselves to the flourishing of the city. So I want to celebrate where God has taken us and how that movement has been so significant. And it's taken time, but it's it's been a wonderful uh, movement into that chapter. So as I've been looking at this chart and I've been looking at my own life, then I, I, I guess I would say that my third chapter, I would like to say, I'd like to get it into there. I'd like it to be involved with that third quadrant. To move into the upper quadrant with other followers of Jesus. To be, remain high connected, but also to be developing the high distinction element as well. And I, I think that it involves two things. And I want to suggest that to you. It involves two things. And it's kind of like the, the putting off and putting on that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4. Uh, for us to make movement, there's the putting off of things and there's the putting on of things. It's not just putting off, but it's also putting on. And this is what I want to suggest to you. It involves, first of all, recognizing and addressing the things that keep us stuck. That keep us from embracing and living fully into the life that Jesus offers. And as I think about the, the, the clarity that I now have and what I want to do as long as I have opportunity to, to bring influence to this group of people, that I want to address the things that, that keep us stuck. That, that keep us from embracing and living fully into the life that Jesus offers us. So it's not just about you feeling better about yourself, but it's about you realizing the things that keep you stuck and from embracing what Jesus wants to bring to you and how he wants to use you. Does that make sense? Is that getting some traction? The second thing is then having something compelling to pursue. And what I'm talking about here is Jesus. Anyway, so aren't we in church? (laughs) But you know what? I have to be honest. I mean, maybe it's just me, but... For years, I have pursued ideas and information and all kinds of things, even this nebulous idea of God. But Jesus has not been very alive to me and not very compelling and not very real to me. It's amazing. You can preach up here and be absolutely orthodox and not really know Jesus that well. I don't know if that's disconcerting to you that you trusted me. (laughs) It should be. It should be. But it's true. And so what I'm suggesting is that what is compelling is the living Jesus and the life that's empowered by the Spirit. The life that exhibits the fruit of the Spirit because the Spirit wants our lives to bear fruit. And so that as people see us, they see love and joy and peace and patience and all those things that mark the life that the Spirit gives when the Spirit indwells us. It's for the purpose that the world can see something beautiful and the world can see something compelling coming from us as a people. So it's two things. It's addressing the stuckness, but it's also the pursuit. 
Are we pursuing something that is compelling and beautiful, namely the living Jesus, you see? And that's different from just doing church programs and just, you know, marking time in a church. I, in my stage of life, I don't have any time. I have very little time left as far as I'm concerned. So I don't have time to mark time doing church stuff. I really want to pursue Jesus with other people who want to pursue Jesus. And to live, this, live into this, what does it look like to live into this third quadrant? And so that's what I want to be about, and that's what I hope to lead us into in whatever ways I can with those of you who want to do this as well and want to step into this. And it involves, it, it, it's, there's room for everyone to do that. That's the beauty of it. It doesn't require going to school. It doesn't require having all your act together, but it's really saying, yeah, I want to live in tune with Jesus. I want to listen and respond to him. I want to live in a way that's connected with other people, and I want to love them like Jesus loves. And if that's what you want to do, I'd say, let's go for it. Let's go for it. Let's see what Jesus might want to do. I'm very excited. I just want you to know I'm very, very, I'm so excited to be able to talk to you about this today because this has been percolating and I'm seeing that God has given clarity like never before and it's beautiful and it's about Jesus and I really think that Jesus is going to begin to work in ways that we will have nothing but hundreds of stories to tell as we experience what he is doing through us. I'd love to be able to talk to you more in Seca. If you want to talk to me, I'll be in Seca afterwards. And I just want to make myself available today. If you want to sit down and have a cup of coffee and just talk about this more, and uh, let's, let's do it today. Let's talk about it. If you say, well, what about this? What about this? That's fine. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's engage and do that together. All right? Thank you so much.